Hi, everyone. My name is Katherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you again for tuning in today to another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $120 million in savings over the last 21 years for our clients. Joining us today is Nick Magana. Nick is an ergonomic project manager with Southern California Edison and an independent consultant with a focus on decreasing injuries related to physical demands by combining ergonomics and wellness in both the industrial and office setting. Welcome, Nick. Hi, glad to be here. No, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really look forward to to, to really hearing your insight because of, of your experience working in that you know, safety and ergonomics arena. Yeah, now, now you Now you've spent the last 19 years working working with Edison um, in that arena. So what, what have you seen that has really changed in employee safety since you started and, and how do you really see EHS growing even within the next five years? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I, I started with, uh, like you said, Edison a, a very long time ago. Um, and actually, uh, primarily in our um, health and wellness area, but what I did see and what brought me over to safety and then inevitably landing in ergonomics is the need to merge the ergonomics, uh, traditional ergonomics and the uh, and, and wellness, essentially, you know, the, the total worker, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that's that's kind of where I, I do see the future of more of a emergence between those two fields and um, either that the partnership within them or the sharing of knowledge within them. Um, I think that's really where the um, where the industry in injury prevention is really going to go. Um, you know, there's I think there's going to be emergence of uh, broadening um, health and wellness to include things like um Mental health, I think that's going to be uh, huge moving forward. Um, you know, I I, you know, I talk to people. I was like, hey, you know, there's different things that stress us and 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 give us anxiety, and those don't just fall off at the doorstep of our work. We we take them in there with us, and they become uh, distractions. So those are things that and skills that we're going to need as as workers and just humans in general uh, to be able to navigate that, especially if your work is uh, you know very demanding, not just physically but uh, cognitively. Um, lots of those distractions can lead to, to human errors that could uh, lead to injuries, not just to yourself, but to other people potentially. Um, and I also see the rise of uh, technology. Um, you know, the, the use of technology to understand how humans are being affected by their work uh, will only enhance what we can do to protect the human. And the technology is 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 just. Uh, Transforming exponentially, you know, with uh, exoskeleton di- and different various wearable devices that tells us different things about about us. Um, you know, it just it just arms us with more information. Um, I think as long as we have good uh, mechanisms to understand so much information, because it can be uh, information overload with just so much data. You know, how how do we take uh, the the quality of the data and make use of it? Um, so that's kind of where I see, uh, you know, the, the forward progress um, in this space to, to prevent injuries of, of workers in occupational settings. 
I think, you know, what you've said in terms of having those open communications, having, having the, the, the use of technology being used as a true tool for employees. I can, I absolutely agree seeing that grow even in the next five years and even seeing the focus on employee safety really, really change even over the last couple of years, but I'm sure as you've seen over the last 19 years. Mm -hmm. Did you see some challenges from when you first started in safety to to today in terms of that communication, in terms of that of that kind of growing challenges? Um, yeah, I, I think that there's, um, I think when you're doing safety programs or even wellness programs, um, it's always that what's in it for me. So I think combining the health and wellness and, and the safety starts to broaden that what's in it for me and hopefully um, incentivizes people to, to take action or may, um, you know, broaden their awareness of certain things that, um, you know, habits and things like that, that they may be doing that can be putting them at a higher risk than they really need to be. Um, and I, I've seen that, uh, again, that's, that's a been, been a big transition, at least within our company in the utility uh, industry, uh, again, is that migration um, from just traditional ergonomics and safety and starting to include uh, health and, and wellness um, you know, cause you can, you, it's just more ways that people can benefit from it. Um, and I think that using that type of knowledge has helped to, uh, get people's attention. And I think we can get people's attention, you can get them engaged and then you're more likely to, uh, influence, uh, more positive behaviors that you'd, you'd like to see uh, in the workplace. And, uh, again, I mean, nobody wants to come to work and get, and get hurt and nobody wants them to get hurt at work. So there's a lot of win-wins in there. Um, so I, I do, I have seen that, that transition of just, um, you know, being able to le leverage more information and to, um, you know, just try to get people's more uh, attention. And I think the more you can hit that, that what's in it for me, um, I think it's going to be beneficial in, in, in the, in the uh, long run. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and over the last couple of years, especially, you know, with, with COVID, with, with people working in different yeah. work areas that expansion of focus to include wellness and mental health, I think has been a really great conversation, if not starter, but having focus put on it. You know, it's always been a little bit of a conversation, but it's always been almost a one-off of, oh yeah, we should include wellness and mental health. But now, you know, companies are really focusing on it. So in your mm -hmm. opinion, how can EHS departments and HR departments within an organization create a comprehensive safety program that really encompasses all of that. That's a that's a really good question. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's it's complex. I think you need to get a lot of buy-in from different levels, not only just the the employees, but your your the uh, leadership and the inevitably the the people who signed the check to get whatever it is you're looking to get uh, you know support from external vendors. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've seen and benchmarked with different companies and, and have seen good partnerships between safety and HR. Um, and especially if their, you know, workers comp is embedded in HR, some, some companies do have it, some people have it with law, but I think, you know, there's a case to be made, um, you know, when it comes to MSDs on, on getting funding for more comprehensive programs, um, through, through the partnership with, 
with HR and workers comp. Um, you know, I've had conversations where people are, are starting to see the, um, from the, even just the health benefits uh, perspective, a lot of uh, MSDs being treated outside of the work, even though they might be happening at work and that's still cost to the company. Um, and same thing that, you know, most darts and OSHAs to, to companies are, are MSDs. Um, so there's a workers comp case to be made um, there. Um, and then obviously if you're in safety, you, you want injury prevention uh, programs. And so I think that if you can build a good relationship between all three of those areas, um, you might get enough allocated resources to building a more comprehensive, uh, you know, program that's just, uh, you know, that may include like uh, athletic trainers and, and, and more comprehensive and technology-based solutions and um, ways to improve our ergonomic assessments. Uh, Cause I think there's, you know, a benefit for everybody uh, in there. So that's, that's where I think that we, you know, where we need to go and, and how we need to leverage internal resources. Absolutely. And, and, and you mentioned athletic trainers and, and you started working at Edison as a fitness specialist. So, so having that exercise, having that fitness background. So mm -hmm. how did your experience in fitness inform your approach? I'm sorry, inform your approach to injury prevention? That, that's a, a great question. I, I think, um, you know, as I consulted with our um, safety organization uh, back in the day, there seemed to be um, a, a need just for basic understanding of, you know, what is a sprain? What is a strain? <laughs> I think we were kind of missing the boat on, on some of that. Um, and that, you know, uh, the office environment uh, is a little more static than uh, industrial environments, especially with utilities. And you can't always, you know, re-engineer a utility pole. And uh, some of the traditional ergonomic uh, things uh, may not work um, to the degree that you'd like them to work. And so there needs to be more creative solutions to uh, manage signs and symptoms and see that you can you can intervene so someone isn't uh, you know, someone is a little sore from the day before and they've got a little kink in their neck and their shoulder and you have an athletic trainer that can, you know, help them with some basic first aid uh, massage, for example, you know, you're, now you're not going into the work with this little kink and making it worse, right? And there are a lot of people that well, the more the physically, physically demanding the job is, their body is getting beat and beat and beat and long hours and less recovery. And you're not walking in every day at, at 100%, you're walking in at 60 and then you got family stuff going on and you got kids and you're tired and all, all this stuff. And so, you know, the, the need for more well, well-rounded wellness interventions, or at least education was, was, it, it was apparent to me way back when. Um, and that was kind of my pitch to, to my company. It's like, you know, we need to broaden um, and put more, um, more ammo and, 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 and things that we can do to help the, help the employees and there's different ways that we can we can look at it, um, and there isn't a single cure-all, you know. Uh, and it is a, a multi-prong approach uh, to trying to get the best the best outcome we can. So I I, I saw that uh, from a fitness perspective, um, the need for better uh, and more advanced and science-based uh, warm-up programs, you know, static stretching versus active stretching. Um, rolling that into like what did the what do the movements look like that the workers doing and making sure that we're um, rehearsing those before they get out there. You know the way the example I give is that you know if you're a major league baseball pitcher you just don't go to the mound and start throwing 95 miles per hour. There's a whole 
gradual routine that they do so they're not uh, prone to being injured, but they're also going to be uh, focused and have their body uh, rehearse the movements that they need to do to be very precise to hit the strike zone. Um, and a lot of those concepts can roll into to work as well. And it could be, you know, they're not throwing a 95 mile per hour pitch, but they're uh, lifting and carrying and material handling. And so when they go out there and do it uh, the first time that day, it, it really shouldn't be the first time um, out in work. Maybe we should be rehearsing it as part of our, our warm up. And so I, I saw a lot of parallels and a lot of opportunities that we were missing. And so that's been kind of my venture to, to help to integrate that into our work area as best I can. And um, it, it can be challenging, especially when we've been uh, doing things the way we've been doing things and nobody likes change. And there's a lot of convincing that has to go along with that too. Um, but I, I guess that, that makes it, that's just part of the fun. <laughs> so. Right. And I think, using those conditioning programs, like, you know, Dorn calls it our pre-shift conditioning program, mm -hmm. really make sure that, like you said, if someone is, say, lunging forward and grabbing something, if you're only doing exercises before you start work that doesn't, you know, that is only for arms and doesn't include that mm -hmm. lunging function, that's not going to help you in the long run. You really need to warm up your body to what you're doing. Yeah, there's I, I I think that um you know with a lot of my my background um and what I went to school for was was the the dream to work with athletes that's kind of what I learned and the, the the body works as as a unit and I think in the occupational setting you probably had a uh, ergonomist doing what they were taught and, and learned prior and a lot of it was uh, you know. Uh, stretching a joint or an a area one at a time uh, but not integrating everything because the body does work together as a unit and that's a movement pattern and when we work we're doing different movement patterns so it makes sense to rehearse movement patterns and, and get uh, you know do as you know do those patterns as well as we can so they are reflected in the work that we do um, so that was a big gap I, I still think that um, occurs in a, in a lot, a lot of work areas, um, you know, like a hamstring stretch and a forearm stretch, a neck stretch, and then we're going to work and we're performing these physically demanding jobs where we're getting in awkward postures and living, lifting heavy, uh, objects and we're still seeing injuries. And so there's, there's still some need, you know, things that, that need to be done. And, um, I think educating, uh, the safety practitioners is, is, is still something there. Um, and like I mentioned, I think that's that's kind of where we're going anyways. I think just broadening our understanding of the human body to, you know, land in the same place of, of you know, going to work in the same way that we arrived at work, which is should have been unhurt. So, um, and at least maintaining that. And if we can create programs that to create more resilience to injury, then even better. That's the icing on the cake. Yeah. So in your opinion, how how truly important is it for companies to invest in those proper body mechanics and and those mobility and those mobility trainings for their mm -hmm. employees as part as actual part of their efforts to reduce injuries not just uh only focusing on those but as a fully integrated program mm -hmm. I, I i think it's it's crucial um especially depending on uh you know the, the magnitude of the demands on the body makes it even more crucial to have those types of, of, of programs in it. Um, there's the educational piece where people learn more about their body, but they also, you know, if you're doing it well, you're also teaching them how to self-treat in a sense. 
um, you know, how to use a tennis ball to get a knot out of their back. And those, it sounds really simple, um, low cost uh, piece of tool, and but it could it could definitely work wonders. Um, I you know I and I I think that uh, you know telling people just to lift with their legs, not with their back, is not good enough. Um, I, you know, I've done presentations on that. It's, it's just not, um, you can get 10 people, give them this, that same instruction. You're going to get 10 different ways of, of squatting and lifting, you know, there's gonna be more to it. And so proper body mechanics training, um, is needed. Um, and you need a little bit of a hands-on that's kind of more of maybe the, the, uh, personal trainer side of me and, and working with some athletes and, you know, everybody comes into the room with the different ways of using their body and you just kind of have to nudge them and get them to you know realize maybe they're you know their hips need to be back a little bit more when they're going to go lift and because there's uh some uh, uh kinematic awareness that some people don't have and, and i think that um, as people exercise and do things more with their body in, in that type of um you know more of a physical activity um, realm, it gives them an opportunity to learn more about their body and how things should feel and shouldn't feel and how movements, if done right, feel. Um, so they can recognize that not, not only, you know, if they're doing a pre-work warm-up, but they can recognize that, you know, when they're doing their work and like, oh, I'm not doing this correctly. I can, I can self-adjust. So, you know, there's a lot of, of, of opportunities there from an educational standpoint to, to use, uh, you know, biomechanics training and athletic trainers, um, you know, at, at work sites. Even like you said, the introduction um, of of different technologies to really inform how your employees are moving. I know mm -hmm. that you recently spoke at um, Ergo Expo in Las Vegas um, and had a presentation with our CEO Kevin Lombardo, where you talked about just the rise of wearable technology. Now, is is Edison currently working with wearables? We, we do have wearables, um, you know, we, we just uh, about a year ago got in some some exos, exoskeletons. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a wearable solution. Uh, we do have wearables that's where we can tell, um, you know, where, you know, to what degree muscle activity is, is occurring. And so that to me is a wearable for understanding the problem. Um, I would... I, uh, I would like to improve how much we use those. I think that's still a, 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 a challenge, and I'm sure other people listening to this probably have those types of challenges. And it might just be to, to what degree um, ergonomics and uh, soft tissue interventions are probably competing with other safety priorities, because you know that, that's just kind of just the world of, of safety inside of an organization, um, depending on what type of work is being done. So. Um, we do have access to them, um, you know, looking at, uh, for me, um, we have, a, it's a large company and I, I can't be everywhere. My, my saying is that there's no S on my chest and I just can't fly to different places and save it and <laughs> do all this stuff. So um, I, I really envision using um, wearable technologies to turn anybody into a ergonomist where you don't have to have specialized um, training to uh, perform an assessment. At that point, you just need to be a really good um, data collector, right? And so if we can use the wearable technologies to gather information to better understand the problem and have good software to assess it, um, I still think you, you, you'd still need some basic um, uh, understanding of biomechanics, but that's kind of where I, I can stand in and, and support, uh, you know, internally in different organizations. Um, 
you know, if we could just gather the information. And like I said, we, we cover such a wide um, area, it would take forever for me to, you know, schedule something and drive over here and then drive over there and then try to, you know, analyze the video. But if we can just give people access to wearable uh, technology, they can gather the data, they can send it to the cloud or however we're, you know, whatever that mechanism is. And we can literally have five, 10 ergonomic assessments done all over Southern California uh, without waiting for me to go there. Um, and that makes us more effective and, and, and efficient. So that's, that's my vision in, in how I would use wearable technology. And, and how, how, how have you found that employees have reacted to using some of those wearables? Are, are they able to see some of the data even generated from their own body mechanics? Yeah, we, we have done that. I think um, uh, with the wearable technology, I think there needs to be a good explanation on what it does and what it doesn't do, especially when you're working with uh, union employees and depending on what that relationship is with between the company and, and the union, I think it's important to be very transparent. Uh, but I think once you show them that, hey, this is not going to tell us that you can or can't do the job, it's going to tell us how the job is affecting you. And then therefore, we look at it and say, hey, can, what, what can we do so it doesn't affect you as much? That's the benefit, right? Um, so that's kind of the way we, we'll, we, we would get the buy-in, and that's what we've done in the past. And then uh, depending on how the, the sophistication of that wearable technology, we definitely show them, hey, when this is occurring, look at you know the muscle activity in the arms or the shoulders, the back. Um, and then you know depending on what kind of intervention that you put in uh, based off of what was found, we do some uh, pre and post tests. And you know, if you're showing them along the way, um, I think they're really impressed with with the technology and invest in in how much that's advanced. Um, I think a lot of this technology, I think depending on what you use, especially with muscle activity, has been used in sports. That's kind of where I, I got introduced to it when I was back in college. Um, so if you're dealing with people who love sports, that's a good kind of leeway in there and just think this is how they study biomechanics with your favorite sports team. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm willing to try it. Um, and I think we, we do get really good buy-in and we can use those examples to show um, other areas of our organization um, that this is what we can do if you're interested in doing it. Um, again, there's competing priorities and sometimes, uh, you know, I really don't get any negative feedback that, um, you know, it's not good or that wouldn't work or that wouldn't help us understand. Um, I think there's a lot of oohs and ahs uh, with the technology, so I think it's a good selling point. Um, Again, it's it's where it fits into priorities and, you know, what needs to get done at the end of the day based off of just the, the nature of the business. Um, but it, it can help and, and it has helped, uh, at least in, in, in my experience. Yeah, and, and what, why do you, some companies feel that it's difficult to move from pilot programs to true workable um, kind of utilization mm -hmm. in the workplace with that data? Ah, uh, that might vary company to, to company. I, I would yeah. um, make some assumptions um, and, and it might be just the history of, you know, that's just the way they do it is going from a, a pilot. Uh, that's just like the, the stages that they work and, and maybe a, a better way to do it is not a, a pilot, but a pilot, but a uh, incremental rollout. So we're not piloting, we're going to do a small rollout, mm -hmm. and then we'll do a bigger rollout and we'll make the rollout bigger, bigger, bigger. So I think when you use the word pilot, there's a chance that it, it could be um, taken off the plate and just removed. And uh, so that might be some more front end work of working with your, your leadership and the and kind of really assessing um, 
the culture probably and seeing that whatever that you're whatever it is you're going to do is actually going to be accepted so you kind of have to do a, a, a temperature check and yeah. do some really good needs analysis um, I think if you can do that and understand, you know, do are people aware that there's something that that needs to be done and and should be done and and can be done, um, and and is there a desire to do it? Um, so I don't think if you can really answer both of those questions, um, it's going to be a challenge to you know if you're going from pilot to uh, full on acceptance. This is what we do. This is how we do it. I I don't think that that part of um, you know, organizational change management is, is done well in the you know, safety and ergonomics field. Um, I think that might be an, addi an additional skill set that might have to be taught to to uh, practitioners is, you know, project management and change management. I think that'll help with the uh, with the um, any kind of initiative that you want to get up and up and running, even though it may take longer because there's more front end work. I think it increases the chance that you will have uh, success in, in the long run, which is what, which is what you want. That's the goal. So. Absolutely. And having that open communication, like you said, uh, with the employees as to truly what this is all about, how can we actually use this data to, to inform our decisions, to, to make an employee safer, whether it's out in the field or out on a production floor. I mean, I think that communication between employees, between supervisors, between super, um, between senior management, that's, mm -hmm. I think, going to inform so much of how that data is used. Yeah. Um, again, that's, I think every, everyone you just mentioned are all stakeholders, right? So, um, you know, I, I kind of see myself as an, an internal salesperson, and I, I got to really know what each one of those stakeholders really want that's going to get them to sign off on it. And I think that's part of the of the challenge um, is being able, like, again, it's part of that that needs analysis to see, you know, what is it going to get them to to buy off on it, on whatever, whatever it is that, that you're doing. Um, and so, you know, some things may sound like a good idea to you, and it should be a slam dunk. And... Um, but everybody else, like I said, has different competing priorities and may have uh, different perspectives on, on what it is that you are uh, suggesting. And you kind of need to get all that feedback on the front end uh, before you really go and I think do an like a, a official pitch to to the stakeholders. You know, start doing some phone calls and starting to say, "Hey, I, I have an idea. I have this. What, what are your What are your thoughts from your your level?" And mm -hmm. gather all that feedback and. Uh, do your best to sell it and, and, and leverage that information. I think, so, again, I think a lot of that front end work has to happen. And, and um, I don't think it's talked a lot enough at, at conferences. I think it's very, um, I think that's an aspect that, that's, that's missed. And I think that, that, I think that to me is, uh, if we can improve that, that skill, I think we'll see a, a lot, um, a lot more um, uh, migration from pilots to uh, full-on rollouts uh, a lot more smooth. Absolutely. Now, what do you feel are the common parameters that, say, EHS leaders can use to determine if working with wearables is something that they should explore, that they should start talking about um, as using with their employees? That's a good question. I I, I see wearables as, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I think... Um, I think exoskeletons is a wearable 
solution, right? It's going to help you do the job. There, to me, when, you, when you're going to put in an exoskeleton, you probably have done some sort of a, a assessment that says, because um, the exoskeleton to me is is, is a, a tool, you know, not much different from like a drill or something to that extent. That's one way you want to look at it. And you want to be able to justify that purchase of that tool and the fact that it's going to be used. Um, so, you know, I think, again, like the, the stakeholder involvement is going to be um, uh, crucial. Um, I think the other thing with the wearables is the, the problem, you know, understanding. And there's all different wearables that help us understand, um, you know, how the body is being is being stressed. And so maybe you just maybe you need to look at and have some honest questions on, you know, how well are we doing? How well are we understanding the work? And how do we know how well we're understanding the work? Um, and uh, you know, I think to me, when you start to look at some of the wearables and, and their capability, it, it it does shine a light that you know you can have um, five people look at the same work and five people come up with different answers. That, that's a problem to me, right? It's it's too too subjective and and looking at um, you know really depend upon people's knowledge. Um, and I think that you know if you're having those types of of issues and where you can't even agree on what the problem is. Um, I think wearables is a good uh, solution there. You know, it's a quantitative, it's science-based. Um, I think you need to do your, your due diligence to maybe to compare the wearables and, the and you know, how well they actually work. I think that's still, you know, it's still evolving. Um, but I think there's, uh, it's worth it. Um, mm -hmm. And then also looking at, you know, how long does it take you to do a, a ergonomic assessment of a job? You know, if you're recording the job and you're going back and and watching the video over and over again and trying to catch every angle and, you know, how time consuming is that versus, you know, the, the device, whatever you're using collects it and there's an algorithm and it, it figures it out and it's done um, running parallel with you doing other things. So to me, it's more effective, more efficient. And um, that's the way I, I would look at it if I was a, 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 a company considering to use a wearable you know again it, it just it just decide just depends on you're looking for a solution uh, for people to use like a tool like an exoskeleton are you looking for a better way of understanding uh the problem so, yeah absolutely hopefully. and huh <laughs> so hopefully that answers the question <laughs> oh no absolutely absolutely I, I know that one of Dorn's largest philosophies um, is what we call engagement through education and empowerment. You know, making sure that we're getting all of the data that we can from the employees, whether it's through regular communication, whether it's through wearables, and finding ways to use that communication and use that data to just improve the work lives of these employees. Mm -hmm. You know, how how you can truly create some of these kind of forward momentum programs, um, I think is so interesting because you can, like you said, get different ideas, but if you have something that is true data, now, now you have a really good basis to start that conversation. Yeah, uh, I think once you get some, you know, you get some quality data, you can take some quality action. And that, that's really what it takes. And I think you, you mentioned it too, like getting the information from the employees, um, you know, not just the, the, the data that the, ex, not the, the exoskeleton, but the wearable technology can provide, um, but the, the anecdotal uh, feedback is so valuable too. Um, and having the employees 
uh, you know, from the start, um, you know, involved in that in that journey to evaluate, you know, you know the the type of wearable that you're you're getting, and because if it's a wearable, they have to wear it, <laughs> and, and if it's not comfortable, they're not going to wear it. Uh, so you're going to need feedback uh, on that too, because you know if it's hindering the way they do the work, it's just it's not it's going to be a uh, no go, mm -hmm. right? Or, it's, or if it's going to create a, an additional hazard, you know they're going to tell you they're going to say, hey, when I go and do X, Y, and Z, like this is a problem. Um, so even though the the wearable you know can gather good information, it's not practical, and that's what you're going to need to find. Um, so getting the the feedback from the employees is 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 crucial, um, and I would even recommend trying to find people who, um, employees that have a lot of um, influence amongst the, their fellow employees, have, have those individuals involved in that process because, um, you know, sometimes work is a little bit like high school and, and, and word spreads around and you want the word to be good, right? So, um, you know, people are having positive experiences, they're gonna share the positive experience. Um, so you can, you can leverage that as, as, you know, part of your, part of your efforts to, you know, implement whatever it is you want and know that, um, you know, you can have that implementation plan, but you also have to have a good sustainability plan. And that can be part of your, your sustainability plan is, is getting that, that feedback, that anecdotal uh, feedback, you know, along the way to make sure that, you know, things are getting used. Um, Cause I have heard from other employee or not employees, but uh, other companies, you know, they, they were able to do what, what they were going to do to get maybe an exoskeleton and then um, it's just sitting on the shelf collecting dust, and so it's not being used. So there was a uh, sustainability problem there that maybe wasn't fully thought out of how to truly in integrate it into how they do the work. Like it's, it, it should be becoming norm. Um, so I think stuff like that still needs to be you know worked out. Yeah, and and even having employees understand the use of those wearables, the, the use of, mm -hmm. you know, like I uh, talked about earlier of, of body mechanics and conditioning programs as a way to actually meet a company's safety goals. Because that's ultimately what this is all about. It's about keeping employees safe. It's about keeping mm -hmm. employees pain-free, as we like to call it. Um, is that something that you've seen as well? Um, yeah, I mean, everything you mentioned is, is all, um, part of that, that approach to keep employees, uh, pain-free. I think it's, it's all, it's all needed. Um, you know, nowadays I think it's, um, you know, there's just a, a lot of wear and tear that goes on to people's bodies and, um, and people, um, have different, uh, lifestyle habits out, outside of work. And those are things you, you can't control, but you can definitely educate on, um, and, you know, I think that, again, I think a lot of the buy-in does, you know, you can, uh, you can get is that um, having people leverage the services that you are, you know, a company is providing is beneficial, not just within the walls of the company, but outside the walls. You know, you want to go on vacation and you want to play with your kids or your grandkids and, and do things like that. Um and you want to do that for as long as you, as you can. That's really about quality of life. Um, so being able to take take advantage of these these services um, that you just mentioned, I, I still think is is crucial overall to a, a person's uh, well being. Yeah, and and I know that you know you mentioned obviously the the mix of work and life. Is, is so crucial obviously because it's not just what you do at work what you do at home the, the mm -hmm. these things are truly integrated and 
kind of an extension of that is people who now that's completely mixed with working remote, with yeah. with working just completely out of a typical office arena. So what mm. are the what are the common safety and injury prevention challenges that that you've seen when it comes to what what someone would call like a lone worker safety? Um, I, yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, especially uh, with COVID and people, you know, working from home. Um, I think within within our company, we we do provide, um, you know, at least at you know at at work, really really nice furniture that's adjustable, uh, really high end, uh, in 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 my view, um, and I think that was a, a bridge or a, a gap to try to bridge. Um, when we did uh, transition, um, and so I, I think you know, we, educating people to, uh, especially if companies are asking them to purchase their own equipment, whether they're funding them or, or not, whatever that that may look like for the whoever's listening uh, to this, is at least providing them information to how to uh, assess equipment to purchase. Like, what are the what are features I want? I need to look for on a chair. Right, because again, people are all shapes and sizes. So now you're going to have to ask mm -hmm. them to, um, you know, advance their knowledge of basic ergonomics, and uh, equip them with what they need to know to purchase a, a a desk and what to look for on that based off of their hikes. So now the desk has to be at a good height. And are you going to get keyboard trays? Are you going to get uh, adjustable chairs, uh, monitor arms? Um, I think that's that that's been a, a challenge. Um, I think there's a lot, just a lot of uncontrollable things with COVID, you know, depending on where, where you're at in the time frame of COVID, you have kids at home. Um, so it's uh, the non-normal work stressors, right? Usually if you're at the office, you don't hear uh, kids playing and screaming in the background while yeah. you're going to have that at, at work and during meetings. So there's some new norms that people have to adjust to. And I think those are new stresses that, you know, uh, people you know, weren't um, accustomed to. I think that, I think working from home, um, which sounds really good and, and can be really good, um, presented some opportunities for those people who were maybe more workaholics or maybe for businesses that were, you know, really driving their employees already um, in the workplace to say, all right, well, maybe you can start earlier. And some people uh, by themselves would Hey, no, normally I'm sitting in traffic for an hour. Now I just get up and roll out of bed and go to work, turn on my laptop. So I have an extra hour of work on the front end and on the back end of my day. So now I'm working 10, 11 hour days or whatever that looks like and compound that five days a week, every week, every month. Um, and, you know, having to be going from one Zoom meeting or whatever you're using for that one meeting to the other and not having breaks in between and not... So I think ergo breaks became um, became a, a, a challenge. So um, trying to convince and 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 talk to people and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe meeting meetings don't need to be sixty minutes. Maybe they need to be fifty minutes and get that extra ten minutes to take take a stand, take a break. Um, you know, if you feel like you need to be more uh, effective and efficient with with at home, go put some laundry to wash within that ten minutes. That, that's still to me. That's still you getting up and moving and and carrying some stuff and getting your body going. You don't need to do stretches. I just need you to move. Uh, get out of that static position. Go for a walk. Wash some dishes. You can do. You want to vacuum a room? You know, knock yourself out. Do that. Great. Those are different ways to get movement in. 
Um, so I, I think those were, um, you know, some of the challenges that, that, that were presented. And I think uh, people like myself, people who are, who are probably watching this, had to come up with some creative ways to, to get around that and, um, you know, encourage people to, that you still need to take care of yourself no matter what environment that you're in. And, um, you know, physical breaks are important. But again, getting outside, getting in the sun, getting some, some vitamin Ds is, is important. Um, you need mental breaks as well, not just staring at, staring at your screen. Uh, you know, that's why I tell people to go, go for a walk. Or if you can, you know, take a meeting on the, on the phone. If you don't need to be sharing, uh, staring at a, at a screen, you just need to be listening in. You can go for a walk with your headphones on and get some movement mm -hmm. in. Um, so it did give birth to the, the challenge of needing um, more creative strategies and, and more education. Um, I think our, our company did a, a pretty good job um, with that, and our injury rates did actually drop significantly lower than than we've had ever. Um, and so maybe I might argue to keep us in this environment because we have really good injury rates as, as compared to us. Um, but um, and and now you know I think that the next thing to get uh, ready for is just probably a more hybrid um, world moving forward as as we get better control over uh, COVID and depending on what kind of state you're in, um, you might have some more work work from home opportunities as as businesses see that as as a benefit and you know maybe they don't need to supply as much um, desks and chairs for people and all the the cubicle setups and. They can get creative with that and, you know, have people working from home more often. Um, so I think um, safety practitioners and uh, ergonomists are going to, you know, need to figure out what does a hybrid world look like and how do we uh, manage those potential hazards of people hopping back and forth between two settings and getting their mindset based off of what setting they're in. Um, mm -hmm. Really, really finding those 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 different areas that even like specific employees like you said can thrive you know what what works for one employee might not work for the other based on you know even are they introverted or extroverted um you know do do, do they get energy from being around people or is it very much you know they want to be able to work at home and just focus you know mm -hmm. um and and i've seen a lot of that like you said, kind of working for that hybrid workforce because mm -hmm. people are able to, to see how that can affect mental health and how that can really help you in the long run in terms of that work-life balance. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great point. There are people who get a lot of energy from being around other people and other people are, are like to be to themselves and, and, right. and work. It, it probably depends on what type of work you do as well that might dictate the, the need of you being uh, more at home versus more at, at work. Um, so that probably needs to be considered. Um, but I think it does create an opportunity for uh, better work-life balance. If you can work with the employees on how to strategize that, um, you know, I think um, traditionally when people are, you know, I'm in California, so we, we sit on in, in traffic for a long period of time going to and from places. Right. Um, and you're always worried about, I got to do this and I got to get home and I got to do that. And I got to take the kids here and I got to, you know, and I think, you know, working from home, you can start, start to chomp at some of those things intermittently throughout the day. And you find yourself with more time, hopefully at the end, and you're not um, filling your cup more when you've created an opportunity for you to actually re relax and decompress. Right. Um, that's probably the other thing. But, um, you know, I think, again, we were talking about, um, 
you know, wellness and, and mental health, I think there, there could be an opportunity to leverage more of, of the hybrid if you are really strategic about it. And, um, you know, if you can, you can do that, you can manage your time. Um, I think businesses will, will benefit from that in the long run because people are going to be more productive. You know, the less stressed you are, the less distracted you are, I think the better you'll be focused in making uh, better decisions uh, when you're performing work. So again, these are all to me win-wins if you can if you can do them right. Absolutely, and and, and engaging those those employees in in how to prevent different different you know MSDs, how to how how to manage even present ones that that they're having to deal with, and and having that be a constant communication between an accompanying. Uh, a company and their employees as to how to to work within those constraints. Yeah, I think t tools and resources for both settings are going to be important. Um, you know, I think we've, you know, from like the exercise perspective, we've brought in a lot of our exercise program to include like soft tissue work with tennis balls and foam rollers because mm -hmm. you wouldn't normally be able to do that in your cubicle. But you can do that at your house. You can find a space to lay down. So you know, invest in a tennis ball, invest in a, you know, $10, $20 foam roller. And, you know, from a work perspective, you know, we can provide you the exercise that you can, you can do at home. And now you can do some soft tissue, self massage work. Um, and so, you know, take advantage of, of being at, being at, at home. So, um, you know, adjusting um, your, your tools and resources um, for both of those. I think, you know, again, there's, there's opportunities for that. Um, you know, if you're, uh, you know, depending on if you have ergonomic software, you know, those are things that you can update. Um, consultation, uh, telework oriented uh, ergo assessments, you know, those can be done. Um, you know, lots of things. I think, again, if you can, you can do them well and arm the employees to own their safety, which is really what you want. You want them to be able to problem solve. You want them to be able to recognize things and then uh, take ownership and solve it themselves, I think is, is ideal. Um, and setting up the, the, the mechanisms to do that, I think, is, is crucial, especially now that we're broadening where we work from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nick. This has been really, really great just, just hearing your insights. Oh, thank you. This is great. This is fun. I'm, I'm hoping we can do this again sometime. No, absolutely. And, and thank you to our viewers for joining us as well. And make sure to tune in next time to learn more about the innovative steps and programs taking place in today's world of safety. Mm -hmm.